So um, I'm going to hold off a second on reading the scripture. Um, we're starting a new series today. I like series. Um, and I just wanted to make a note um, for those of you that don't already know this, because I know you do. The Bible is the story of our relationship with God. And really the story of God's great love for all humankind. And as people of faith, we have either heard or read most of the key stories we're going to be digging into for Lent. So one thing I want you to really think about, though, is that no matter how many times you have heard these stories, there is always something new to learn. These stories often become a little altered in our own memory of them, and we can discover they're not quite like we remember them. So as we hear these stories again, listen carefully, without telling yourself you already know them. Be open to what is really happening. And we're going to begin Lent with the timeless story of Adam and Eve facing temptation in the garden. Their story is our story. So Genesis 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall, jump, you shall die. And jumping to Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. The word of God for the people of God. So I love old movies, you know, those black and white ones that, because color TVs didn't exist, so they were all in black and white. And one of the movies I loved was The Bells of St. Mary's. In this movie, Bing Crosby plays the role of Father O'Malley, who is transferred to an inner city Catholic school named, wait for it, St. Mary's. He's a bit unconventional and immediately begins to butt heads with the stubborn but dedicated Sister Superior Mary Benedict, played by the beautiful Ingrid Bergman. Now they both have the same goal, to revive the school, get it back on its feet, serving the children in the area. And for various reasons, they just don't seem to agree on how they should go about reaching that goal. They argue over the treatment of individual students. It's plain to see from those of us watching the movie that they both loved God, they loved the children entrusted to their care, and wanted only the best for the school. But they can't see that, and their disagreements make them suspicious of one another. At the movie's climax, Sister Mary contracts tuberculosis. 
but only Father O'Malley is informed. Now that certainly wouldn't happen today with the Hippolytes. He is ordered by his bishop and the doctor not to tell her about her diagnosis, but to send her to the Midwest where the climate is dry, because that's what the treatment for tuberculosis was then. Father O'Malley is caught between a rock and a hard place. His superiors felt that if she knew she was sick, the knowledge of the illness would lead to her depression, affect her recovery, and possibly even leading to her death. But if he transfers her without the true reason, she will believe that her transfer is an act of revenge for standing up to him when he didn't, she didn't agree. So when the transfer is announced, she's devastated. And she does indeed believe it is motivated by his disdain for her. She was wrong, of course, but she had made up her mind that she knew what was going on without even talking to him about it. Well, she didn't trust him. She didn't have any reason to trust him. Or did she? We'll get back to that question. Now, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden is a pivotal moment in human history. God created all that is, and God's crowning achievement is the creation of human beings made in God's image. I think sometimes we forget how special we were to God, that we were created differently than any other creature. God created human beings because he loved us, wanted us, and after finishing creation and calling it good, God made us more special than the angels, higher than every other living being that God had created to work together in maintaining the earth, being co-creators of life, and with a soul that connects us to the very heart of God. Adam and Eve experience life through this perfect relationship with God, their creator and friend. Their love for each other and their care of the earth reflected the very image of the loving God who created all that is. Now we know the story of the tree that changed everything about that relationship. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It just sounds ominous, right? As soon as we hear God's command and the name of the tree, we already know what's going to happen, right? One thing I know about myself, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone in this, is that whenever someone tells me not to touch something, the first thing I see is my hand suddenly reaching out to do the very thing I was just told not to do. I don't even have to think about it. It just happens. <laughs> Many times I've had to work really hard to keep that from happening. So because we understand that we have this impulse, we know that Adam and Eve will do exactly the opposite of what God tells them to do. But we have questions, right? Or at least I do. God had to know this would happen. I mean, after all, he created us. And if God knows everything, why didn't he do something to stop it? Why did God put this tree in the garden in the first place, knowing that the temptation would be too great? Now, I've heard that since God gave us free will, the ability to choose for others, that there had to be a choice to make. And that makes sense. But is that what really happened here? See, Adam and Eve might have just been exercising their free will, and since the only choice they had was between obeying God's command and not obeying it, they made the only one that was available to them. Maybe. But I'm not fully convinced that's what the real problem is. To say that God shouldn't have given them the choice is to blame God for the choice they made. Well, we do like to blame others for our decisions, right? If you hadn't left those cookies on the counter, I wouldn't have felt the need to eat them, and my clothes would fit just fine. It's never our fault. 
Let's take a look at the conversation between the serpent and Eve. Now, some people like to assume that the serpent is really Satan, but Scripture doesn't really say that. As a matter of fact, God created this serpent, and Adam gave it its name, just like all the other animals. We just hear that it is crafty, or cunning, or sly in other translations. We're not given a reason why, just that it is. And the serpent starts a conversation with Eve. So, Eve, did God say that you can't eat from any tree in the garden? He's just asking a question. Asking for clarification of what God has said. And Eve knows that that's not quite right. So she does what any good person wants to do, correct the misquote. So she repeats the word of God as she knows it. A lot of time and effort has gone into the fact that she adds to God's command, but God, that God never said they couldn't touch it. But I don't see that as the big, huge first sin as it's sometimes made out to be. They haven't eaten the fruit yet, so they don't even know anything about evil. Their hearts are tuned to God and God's word for them. She wasn't there when God gave this command. It's possible that Adam gave her that rendition. We don't know, but we do know he's standing right there, listening to the conversation. So he could have corrected her if she was mistaken. Then the serpent says something that changes everything. Everything for them and everything for us. He says, you will not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God. Now Adam and Eve, who have walked with God, worked with God, loved God, and been loved by God, are now faced with a choice. And that choice is not, as we might have assumed all these years, to eat the fruit or not, to obey God's command or not, but to choose whether or not they can trust God's word. Whether or not they can trust God. See, up until now, they've never thought about it. They trusted God because they knew God. They were created in God's image and saw all the amazing things that were possible living in God's love. Simply obeying his word. Knowing that God had nothing but their best interest at heart. But the serpent's statement puts that all into question. Can we trust God to really have our best interest? Is God trustworthy to make life's decisions for us? Does God really love us? Or is God just a being who wields his power over us because he can? See, in that moment, we hear what they're thinking. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. They decided that they were better off making their own decisions in life than trusting God to make them. How could God keep something so good from us, knowing that we would gain this new knowledge, that we would become more like God? Did God really lie to us in saying that we would die? They decided that they couldn't really trust the word of God for their goodness. This is the original sin. And it's the one that has stayed with us ever since. That we believe we know what's best for us. That we want to be the God of our own lives instead of trusting the God who created us. The God who loves us more than life itself. The God who knows the plans he has for us and who sees the bigger picture that we can never see because in truth we are not and can never be God. 
Even today, we hear the word of God and we are constantly judging it, weighing it with our intellectual reasoning and choosing what is best for us in our own minds. We know that God says we shouldn't tell lies, but we think, you know, if we tell the truth in this situation, we might lose the court case. We might have to apologize. We might fail the exam. We know that God says revenge belongs to him, but when we have the chance, we argue that this person is only getting what they deserve, so we take our revenge anyway. We know that God tells us not to commit adultery, but you know what? Our marriage is falling apart anyway. We'll make it right in the end. We know that God says to treat others the way we want to be treated, but when someone treats us badly, we want them to understand how that feels. So we treat them exactly the same way so that they feel what we felt. See, that's the nature of a sin, believing that somehow we know better than God what the best course of action is to make our lives better. Or we just question God's motives and God's character. You know, if God really loves us, like he says, why would God let this happen to me? Like Adam and Eve, we've chosen to eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. We've chosen to be like God when we can't really be God at all. We've chosen to trust ourselves instead of the word of God. We were made in the image of God, of God who loves his children so deeply that a relationship with God gives life. In failing to trust God, we made the decision to choose a life apart from God. And now our lives bear the consequences of that choice. The abuse, the addictions, the war, the poverty, the prejudice, the pain and suffering, all caused by human beings who feel we know what's <coughs> best. And usually are only in it for ourselves. Yep. But somewhere inside of us, we still have that image of God struggling to break forth. There's something in us that wants to make the right choices, that tries to love others and knows that we can do better in how we treat each other. We yearn to that, feel that amazing, unconditional love once again, so we go and search for God until we find that love. And every day... It's a battle, trying to make the right choice as we wrestle with God for control of our lives. I don't know about you, but I find it exhausting. And there's really only one way to stop the struggle. Surrender control of our lives back to God and put our trust in God and God's word. See, Adam and Eve lost God because they made a choice not to trust what God had said. And we all know that life would have been so much better for them and really for us if they had just said to the serpent, we don't know if what you're saying is true, but we do know that God loves us and we trust God's word for us. So we'll see you later. They knew God. They had every reason to trust him, yet they chose to go another way. One that led to struggle and pain, and it's been our story ever since. Now Jesus after his baptism, goes into the wilderness, and he also faces temptation. And this time, it is Satan. And Satan tries three times to get Jesus to trust in himself rather than God. You're hungry. You have the power. Turn these rocks into bread and have a bite. And hungry as he was, he still trusted God's word. As it is written, he says, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He stands solely on God's word and trusts 
that God has his best interest even when it might not feel like it at the time. Satan tries to get him to throw himself off a building, quoting scripture, where it says God will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands he will bear you up. Well, see, throwing himself off the building would be a test, essentially saying that he needed to see if he could trust God's word. But he did trust God's word. He didn't need to test it. Satan tempts him to become the ruler of the world. Jesus knows who is the rightful and trustworthy ruler of the world. He doesn't need to try to take control. He knew the one that was in control, and he trusted him. He knew that his human mind was limited, but God knew everything and could see what was best for all. He had a relationship with God, the Father, and it was one based on trust. See, if Father O'Malley and Sister Mary had developed a relationship of trust, then even when she didn't understand why she was being sent away, she would have been at peace, knowing that her life was in good hands. And I believe that as we grow in our faith, as we develop our relationship with God, we can see that God is trustworthy. As we look upon the cross, we can see the evidence of a God who loved us enough to break the power of sin, to show us his great love for us, and wants to show us that he does know what's best for our lives. His word that we find in the Bible and in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us direction. And if we stand firmly on that word, even when we cannot see where it will lead us, even when our rational minds don't understand how it could really be for our best, then our lives will be more complete, less stressful, and the burden of being our own God will be lifted, giving us peace. So study the word of God. And when questions and doubts arise, and they will, because that serpent still speaks to us each and every day, consider making the choice to follow Christ. Make the decision to stop making your own decisions. Surrender the decision-making to the one who sees the big picture knows more about you than you know yourself and loves you with a love so deep that you can't fathom it. Trust in God's word, even when it might not seem to make sense. So make the choice to trust in God. He's got to trust in the power of love. And we will live. Amen.